Good morning, everyone. Good morning, birthday boy. <laughs> Everybody gets to punch Hunter afterwards because this is today is Hunter's twelfth birthday. <laughs> Hunter, the sad part is there are people out there that believe that. <laughs> oh, wow. Boy, you haven't learned not to tease a person with a microphone yet. <laughs> no, that's good. That's really good. I, I loved, um, of course, I say this so many times, but, but uh, it was kind of a throwback how we did worship this morning, because I remember for, I want to say, the first year and a half, right around there, um, was it a year and a half? Yeah, a year and a half, that we did it like that because uh, pretty much the praise team was me, (laughs) right? Um, And we did tracks like that, and I remember how passionate everybody was, right? And, And I think part of that was because these are the songs that we play in our cars. These are the songs that we play at our house. Um, you know, if, if you if you put in put in uh, uh, you know headphones and you're doing work or whatever, these are the songs that that we play and we worship to. But do you understand that that it's so much more than than just a a time to enjoy a beach or a time to enjoy some music it is it is connection it's connection with Jesus Christ it doesn't matter whether you're listening to a track it doesn't matter if you have a full band it doesn't matter what matters is your heart what matters is the connection because that's that's what worship really is do you know when the bible talks about worship it talks about it in so many different levels we worship him in in so many different things that we do we, we tend to think of worship as music, right? Well, worship is, is when I sing and I worship the Lord. And that, and that is true. But worship is so many things. Worship is, is literally ingrained in everything we do in our lives. That's, that's how God wants it to be. You know, when we give, we worship when we give, right? When we put, put money into the offering, offering box, the storage box over there. Okay, we, we worship when we read the Word, when we read the Word of God, whenever our secret time is, or, or whenever you're reading the Word of God, you're, you're worshiping. Why? Because you're recognizing who He is. You're recognizing that, that your communication is not just to the open air. It's not just to, uh, you know, the steering wheel in front of you, right? Your, your communication is to the one who created you is to the God, the only God. And, and that's what worship is. Worship is simply giving Him your heart. And He wants us to worship Him always. He, he, said, he said, the true worshipers will worship me in spirit and in truth. Right? That we will, we will go and we will worship according to the truth, which is the Word of God, according to who He is, but He is spirit. See, God is a spirit. You have to worship Him, and that's what that verse says. God is a spirit. You have to worship Him in spirit and in truth. It can't just be that, well, I'll worship Him when I see Him. Right? There's no faith in that. There's a, one day we will see Him. But until that day, He wants us to exercise this faith. This faith in worship and this faith in recognizing who He is. And, and that's kind of where we're at in this book that we're going through. We're going through Acts. And we're in chapter 3. And the amazing thing about this book, this is the beginning of the church. You know, this is after Jesus Christ raised from the dead and, and was with His disciples for 40 days, was seen by over 500 people, and then ascended to be with, be with the Father, sit at the right hand of the Father. And, and then you have Acts. Right? Luke writes Acts to give us a depiction of what it was like in the early days of the church. See, the church was non-existent before Jesus Christ rose from the dead. 
It couldn't be in existence because prior to that, everything was based on the law. Everything was based on on what Judaism and what Jesus spoke or what what, um, uh, the Christ spoke through the law, right? Jesus came and fulfilled that law. He didn't abolish that law, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today. He didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. What does that mean? That means that nobody could fulfill it before Him because none of us are perfect. Any, anybody? Nobody? Nobody? None of us are perfect, right? Except Hannah. Hannah thinks she's perfect, but that's okay. She and I are going to talk afterwards, but no. No, no none of us are perfect. No, nobody was able to, to fulfill the law. And that, by the way, that's simply even from birth. Because we come from a heritage of sin. We could, the, the moment Adam and Eve sinned, they then, because we all come from Adam, we come from a heritage of sin. So, so there was none righteous, right? No, not one, Paul says. Nobody was righteous. So in order to fulfill the law, so that we do not have to be judged by the law, Jesus had to come. The very Creator of the world. He had to insert Himself into His own creation. And He was born, born of a virgin. He was not born of Adam's line. Right? He was not born of the seed of human flesh. So He was not born with that same sinful flesh that we're born with. He was born of the Holy Spirit. And then He lived this perfect life and gave that perfect life to fulfill the law. See, the law had to be fulfilled so that a human being, a person, a man, Jesus Christ, could then say, I give my perfect life as an offering for those who would accept me. That's basically what happened at the beginning of the church. That's what laid the platform for the church to start. What we know of as the church today, it's what it really is, it's not the local ignition church, right? The church is what's called the bride. The Bible calls the bride those who are followers of Jesus Christ, those who have accepted Jesus Christ into their heart as Savior. They're the bride. This is the beginning of the bride. And we talked about it last week. You know, we, we went a couple weeks ago, we went through Pentecost where where it was these 120 disciples who Jesus, as He ascended, He said, go and wait for Me. Wait in Jerusalem and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit in power. So they went and they waited and Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit fell on them. And, and just, just, I won't go into it again because we did it two weeks ago, but, but amazing show of power through the Holy Spirit. And, and then we know that first day, that first day, people came and 3,000 people were saved. Three th- the church went from 120 to 3,120 in just a couple of hours. And think about that. That was extraordinary. But you have the beginnings of the church here. So, so again, as we go through this, as we go through this, I want you to think in terms of their thought process. Okay, think, think in terms of the disciples. Okay, where they were at this point. What God just did before, before Pentecost, where their mind was, after Pentecost, where their mind is, and now their day-to-day life. Last week we talked about how they had everything in common. Right? They all effectively, back then, they all moved in together. Right? They became this family. Why? Because they were persecuted. This was not a popular thing. It was not a popular thing to believe in Jesus Christ. We're going to see that as we go a little further. Because not only did the religious spirit or the religious age, those people, the Pharisees and Sadducees, not only did they hang Jesus Christ on the cross, thinking that would end it. They were sorely wrong. But it actually began the very movement that we're talking about here. 
However, the persecution didn't end. The persecution was still strong. We're going to see that as, as, as we'll see time and time again that, that Israel, the, the Jerusalem leadership, come after these disciples. But again, I want you to think in terms of from, from their perspective. Okay, so they're, they're going through their day. They're going back and forth to the temple, to the tabernacle every day. And that brings us to chapter 3, verse 1. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read portions of this. We're going to end up reading all of chapter 3 today. But there are really three points that, that, the, that the Lord highlighted in this for me that we'll go over this morning. So verse 1, before, before we read His Word, let's pray. Father, I pray, Lord, this morning that You put in my mouth Your words. Father, I give You my hands, I give You my feet, I give You my mouth, my mind. Father, do with them what You will. And I pray Your will be done this morning. Work in hearts according to Your will, Father. In Jesus' name, Amen. Verse 1, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, that's about three o'clock in the afternoon. And the man, lame from birth, was being carried. This, this, This gentleman who had never walked his whole life whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple or to to basically beg, beg for his needs. Verse 3, seeing Peter and John go into the temple, he asked to receive alms or or a, a gift, a donation. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his... Now again, think of this through the eyes of Peter right now. Okay, through the eyes of Peter or John that are there. Think of it through their perspective. And Peter directed his gaze as did John, and he said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I want to just stop here for a second. Picture that. We've all watched videos. We've seen the the Holy Ghost movies. We've seen these amazing things on TV or a video. But have you ever experienced personally something extraordinary like that? We've experienced healings. But have you ever experienced something like a person who had never walked their whole life? And all of a sudden, you see someone reach down take their hand and tell them to stand in the name of Jesus Christ. I I haven't. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that personally. You hear stories about that. You hear stories about even the dead being raised. Always seems to be overseas. I I don't know why America is not open to that, but it will be. But think about this from the perspective of the disciples. See, they were used to seeing this. They had just spent over three years with Jesus Christ who, who daily did this. It, and I don't want to say it was a matter of fact because it was by the presence of the Father and the Holy Spirit. It was through the power of the Holy Spirit that it happened. Jesus, who became a man by choice, had to choose to grow in faith. The Bible says He had to learn faith just like we do. He had to learn obedience just like we do. So he had to, by faith, reach out and say, take up your bed and walk. I don't know, I know a lot of people are now going through the Gospels, because we've talked about this for for several weeks now. And and I was just going through John where where he was saying, where he was healing this this man that had been uh, um, uh, blind, I believe it was, since birth. And he's an older, he was in his 40s, he's an older man. And, And just... Just a matter of fact, right? Just here. Let, let me put this, 
this mud on your eyes, go and wash and you'll be healed. What faith? What faith? And see, that isn't reserved for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had to learn faith when He was on this earth to show us we could do the same thing. That's what He said in John 14. He said, you're going to do more than me on this earth. Why? Because I go before the Father. I'm your advocate. I'm going to sit at the right hand of the Father. But you need to learn this faith. You need to trust in what, what is there that's available to you. But yet, we're kind of like Thomas. We haven't seen it. So, is it real? Can it really happen like that? In fact, in many ways, we see the opposite, don't we? We've been, we've been praying for Carson for, for years. Right? And, and I mean, we go before the courts for him many times a day. And not just him. We pray for Manetta all the time, every day, several times a day. We continue praying for Angela. Now, now, are they here? No. Have we seen this miraculous drawing? This miraculous healing? No, not yet. Do you believe it's coming? And I, I mean, really, this is the brass tacks of it. Because faith is not something that you believe or, or have the strength of when you've seen it happen. It's the evidence of things not seen, right? It's, it's something that you believe, but you have not seen it yet. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not saying that, that they're not healed because we don't have enough faith. I'm not saying that at all. Because I believe our faith is absolutely strong in that. What I'm trying to get you to understand is, is that Jesus, He has called for a time to be coming where the faith has to be greater than it has been. We've talked about it before, Revelation 3.9, the readying of the bride. See, that's not just something that Jesus pours out on people that's going to be some big surprise. Oh, all of a sudden i got this faith and let's ready the bride. The bride's going to come around now. No, see, the faith has to come first. The faith always comes first. Do we have the kind of faith for God to bring things in our lives and in our church that have never been seen before? Do we have the faith to believe that we could be the recipients of John 14? Where He said, you will do more than me. Not because of us, but because of Him. Because Jesus literally went to heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father, and He's directing everything. But do we have the faith? See, I, I would submit to you that in past generations, there has not been that faith. And not that that faith was held back. But there has not been that faith to step out like they did at the beginning and say, I don't care anything about my life. I care about You, Lord. I care about what You want. I will offer the faith to believe whatever it is You tell me without holding back. Without any reservation. See, because... We'll see this later in Acts, but when Jesus got a hold of Paul's life, He said, go and see this man Ananias. He's going to pray for you and have your eyes healed. He said, but... And He said this to Ananias, who was afraid to even talk to Paul. But He said, I have to show Paul what I have for him. He said, this tough life that I have for him. Do you know Paul... He had a pretty good idea of everything he was going to encounter when he went into a city. He knew at the end when he was going into Jerusalem that he was facing death. Boy, you put that on the table. How would you guys react to that? If you knew that God is telling you to do something, but the end of it is going to be your death, your torture and your death, how would you feel about that? 
I mean, being, being honest with yourself. How would you feel about that? I would say 999 people out of 1,000, and probably a greater percentage than that, would say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to stop it a little short of that one. You know, Jesus, I'll, I'll give you this. I'll give you my wants. I'll give you my desires. I wanted this career, but that's fine. Lord, I'll give you that. If you want me to do something else, I'll do it. I'll give you my relationships. I'll give you this. But, but yeah, the torture part, you know, the, the whole death thing, I was kind of hoping I'd be able to hang around until the rapture. I wouldn't even have to feel the death, right? I mean, honestly, we think that way, don't we? I mean, nobody wants to give God everything. But see, that's what He wants us to recognize in this. He wants us to recognize that they gave everything. And for the readying of the bride, He brings us back to this point. He needs people to give everything. And you know what? Sometimes that's tough. Because it doesn't matter where you're at in life. It's always a difficult choice. Whether you're an older person and this is all, many things are behind you, or you're a young person and everything's in front of you. It's still the same thing. Faith is faith. You still have to give Him everything that you are. But see, He needs a church. He needs those in the bride that would be sold out no matter what. That nothing is more important than their relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing. And this is what He wants to do in them. So again, think from the perspective of what God did in these disciples. And that He wants to do the same thing right now. Verse 9. All the people saw Him walking and praising God, this, this lame man, and recognized Him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what God had, at what it, what had happened to Him. Verse 11. While He clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's within the temple there. And I love this, this next part. This, this is a true preacher. Okay, Peter saw an opportunity and he took it. That's a preacher right there. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. All these people gathering. It's like, oh, thanks, Lord. Brought them all together. I'm going to talk to you. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we've made Him walk? In other words, Peter's saying it had nothing to do with us. Verse 13, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified His servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. Just like last week, he's taken that opportunity to remind them again, this man who you crucified. Remember last week we talked about, he was talking to these 3,000 people who, who had just less than two months before had crucified Jesus Christ. Imagine the boldness of Pe Peter. To the very people who killed his Savior, he said, you killed him. And he's standing there in power. He's standing there with authority. Whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him, taking all of the blame away from Pilate. Which if you, if you go through the Gospels, that's exactly what Jesus said to him. He said, he said, the greater sin is the one who delivered me to you. Because see, Pilate didn't want to do that. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted you. And that was Barabbas. And this, this next statement just cuts to the core. And you killed the author of life. Who, do you, who is Jesus Christ to you? I mean, really think about that. 
Is he, is he your best friend? Many would say he's my best friend. I talk to him all the time. He's, he's my best friend. He's the one I can reach out to, which is correct as you build that relationship with him. But understand that his humanity, when he was born as a man, he did not cease being God. What you have sitting at the right hand of the Father right now is Jesus Christ who is 100% man and 100% God. Peter just said it right here. He said, you killed the author of life. You killed the very Creator that created you. You killed the very Creator that created all of this. You killed Him. This author of life whom God raised from the dead, to this we are witnesses. And His name, by faith in His name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, that His Christ would suffer, He thus fulfilled. See, what Peter's kind of saying to them is, it's okay. It's okay. God knew this was going to happen. God knew that you were going to deny Him. It had to be this way for the Scripture to be fulfilled. But see, that's the same today. God knows you. He knows what you've done. He knows who you are right now. He knows those secret compartments that you don't share with Him. You might think that you hide those. And you might to everyone else. You don't hide them from Him. He knows you. And just like Peter told them, it doesn't matter in terms of His love. He knows who you are, but yet He loves you. And He offers you something so much more, so much more amazing. We're going to talk about that in in a little bit in, in this third point, but understand who Peter is talking to here is no different than who we are. We all like to compartmentalize our life. Some more than others. But yet I think to a certain extent we all do. Well, th- this, is, this is the part where I have fun. And, and then this is the part where I go to church. This is the part where I get close to God and kind of learn more about Him. But then this is the part that, that you know, I mean, I can't give this up because this, this is what kind of gets me through life. Because if I didn't have this, I wouldn't have anything to look forward to. I mean, think about that. See, there's a disconnect in the faith there. There's a disconnect in understanding that Jesus Christ gives everything. Do you understand that? He's the ultimate in everything that we can give Him. That means He can be the most fun, right? And I, and I get, I get, you know, compartmentalizing that and having fun. I've been there. I understand that. But I also see from the other side, Jesus can be the most fun. The most fun times I've had in my life were with Him. Why? Because He's fun. And He's funny. If you ever want to get a good laugh, I mean, just listen to some of the things He says especially to the Pharisees. See, Jesus wants to be everything. And it's oftentimes our faith or lack of faith because we can't see Him. We can't call Him up on the phone and then ask, hey, can you come over? Hey, let's go out. Let's grab a bite to eat. See, there's a disconnect because we're stuck in these dimensions. We're stuck in the three dimensions plus time. And we don't, it's hard to take that leap 
to including Him in everything. That's why it's easy to compartmentalize. I, I don't see Him. I don't feel Him. You know, I don't feel the Holy Spirit now, so He must be off somewhere. Okay, I'm, I'm good. I'm in my compartment. That's just not the case. See, He's there whether we feel Him or not. Do you understand that? He's there whether you recognize it or not. He's there. He loves you whether you recognize that or not. He loves you. His Word said He died for you and loves you so much that He would die again. But see, that doesn't depend upon you feeling that. Because it's truth. We worship Him in spirit because He's in spirit, but we worship Him in truth. And the truth is who Jesus Christ is. And that's what Peter's trying to tell them. See, this very Messiah that you have waited for thousands of years for, who the prophets of old have said is going to come, you just killed Him. But it's okay, because it had to be that way. See, He had to die in order that you might live. That's what Peter's telling these people here. Can you imagine the hearts that were breaking? Last week when those 3,000 got saved, that that very first preaching time that, that Peter had, it said their hearts melted. Their hearts broke because they understood the very author of life, like Peter says here, they killed, they destroyed. But they only destroyed His body. It was through that very act that allowed us salvation. That allowed us to have this relationship with Jesus Christ. So Peter says, verse 19, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive, until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. We're going to read through the end of the chapter, then I'm going to come back. Verse 22, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. What he's saying to them is these days where Jesus Christ came and was sacrificed on the cross. These days of the church, where the the church would begin. You are the sons of the prophets, and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up His servant, sent Him to you first, to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. See, it wasn't until Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave that we had opportunity for relationship with Him. That that what Peter is talking about right here was even available. And it's no different today than it was then. That same relationship that Jesus offered to them at this time that Peter was talking about is available to us today. And the times are just as extraordinary. You look at this as the beginning. But see, there has to come to a point where there is an end. Right? There is an end to this church age. And that's, that's what he's talking about of, of the time of the prophets that's going on in those last few verses. So just like they were in an extraordinary time at the beginning of the church age, there will come a time, and I believe we're there now, at the beginning of building up the end of the church age. 
where the bride finally sees Jesus for who He is. Finally, through relationship with Him, comes to a place in their faith that says, anything. Whatever you want, God. You want to take my life? Take my life. Why? Because I'm not focused on this life. I'm focused on doing what you want. So let's go back what he tells them in verse 19. And really, I want to key on 20. But verse 19 says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. And if you do this, here's what's going to happen. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That He may send the Christ appointed for you until, because Jesus had to go to heaven until these things come to pass. But I want to key on this times of refreshing. Because man, we talk about this a lot. He said, repent therefore. Build this relationship in Jesus Christ so these times of refreshing will fall upon you. What does that mean? Because I don't know about you, but I haven't noticed that it's gotten easier for the bride. What is this time of refreshing? See, Carson still writhes in pain every day. Where's his refreshing? Where's our refreshing when we're, when we're accepting Jesus Christ and we're moving forward in Him, but yet we still deal with warfare every day? Where's our refreshing? Wait a second, God. You promised refreshing here. Yeah, that's what it says, right? At times of refreshing may come. If you repent, then your sins are going to be blotted out that times of refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Because see, I think we misunderstand what this time of refreshing is. This time of rest. See, God promised rest to Israel. And this is such a a beautiful picture of what rest is. See, they were slaves in Egypt. And Moses came and he drew them out of Egypt to go to the promised land. The promise that God had promised all the way back to Abraham. This land that they would receive. See, they were slaves in Egypt. And yet, God said, wait a second, you're kings. I have this promise for you. Let me take you out of Egypt and take you into this promised land so you will have rest. Right? But what did they do? You, you all know the, the story. The, the, only two of the spies said we could take the land. So then they had to deal with going around for 40 years until that generation passed. But verse 7 of chapter 3 of Hebrews. Hebrews 3 verse 7 says this. Therefore, and this Paul is talking, or I believe Paul wrote the book. Anyway, the writer of Hebrews. He, he is saying this about those people. He said, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Talking about the, that day with Moses. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my, my works for 40 years where he, he provided for them for 40 years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So see, because of their sin, they didn't enjoy His rest. They didn't enjoy what Peter was talking about. Right? That that time of just relaxation. Wait, there's a problem there. There's a problem there because, and we won't turn to it, but if you go to Joshua, 
40 years later when Joshua takes over for Moses and they actually enter the land. As you read the book of Joshua, you're not going to see a whole lot of rest. So what in the world does that mean? Jesus said here, he said, or, or the, the scripture says in Hebrews 3, that because they sinned, they would not enter my rest. The rest, the promise that I had for them. But yet 40 years later, they did enter the rest. And it was warfare. Right? The very thing that they were built for. What God was taking them into is a place of understanding and peace with Him. It's really about the fruits of the Spirit. The love, the joy, the peace. Understanding the rest that God offers has nothing to do with the external things going on. Because when they went into that land, it was all about warfare. It was all about taking the land. Now, they had tons of joy doing that. They had joy. They had love. They had peace. What kind of peace? Wait a second. They didn't have peace. They fought. No, they had peace. Because in their hearts, they knew that God was doing it. When they traveled around the the wall of, of Jericho, you know, they weren't throwing stones at the wall or battering rams at the wall. They worshipped and they trusted God that the wall would come down and it did. See, you could argue that how, how is that peace? And I would tell you that you are at peace when you know you're in the center of God's will. And if you've built a relationship with God or you're pursuing a relationship with God for any length of time, you know exactly what I'm talking about. See, we can be at peace with God. Or we can compartmentalize God. And we compartmentalize Him with things we don't want to give up. Oftentimes that's sin, and that's what we've talked about. I don't want to give up this sin over here, but I certainly don't want to give up God either. So I'll compartmentalize the two. And see, then there is no peace. There is no joy. There is no love. However, it's not just sin. And I need you to recognize this because this is where so many Christians don't get it. You can't just say, I give you everything and then lead a pure life or as pure as we can with, with our, our sinful flesh, and then everything's okay. See, you're still not in His rest. When you're in His rest is when you take everything that you want and you place it in His lap and say, I don't want my desires to be my desires anymore. I want them to be your desires. I want to do what you want me to do. Whether that's a career or a big life's decision, or whether it's walking into the grocery store and saying, yes, I'll talk to anybody you want me to. If you lead me to talk to this person, I'm going to go talk to this person. But see, in the church, we get away with those things because that's almost not expected. But see, there is coming a time, and that time is here now, where it is to be expected. See, there's a bride that has to rise up to understand that the relationship they have is with the Creator of this universe. And we don't have to do things in our own strength. But we do things in His strength. But that makes it unlimited. So so in our compartmentalization, it isn't just sin we compartmentalize. It's our faith. It's our trust that God would actually take us to a place that we would never expect. See, do you see yourself praying over somebody 
that's been lame their whole life and say, give me your hand, stand up and walk. See, because your best friend, he's the one who has the strength to do that. But it requires your faith. It doesn't require the faith of the person being healed. Recognize the difference. The person being healed is on the receiving end of what God is doing. The faith has to come from the person who He's doing it through. Why? Because I have to give God permission to use my hands, to use my feet, to speak through my mouth. We all direct our own lives until we give that direction to someone else. By faith, when you give that to Jesus Christ, you then have to back it up with the faith that He's actually going to do something. And, and what He's done in this church has been extraordinary. What He's done in our lives has been extraordinary. But do you think that's it? Or do you think maybe in your own life He hasn't even yet started? Because see, that's where I believe we are. He has not even started yet. That rest that He wants to give us is not that now you get to relax and not do anything. That rest is in the fact that you will have love, you will have joy, you will have peace. God will give you patience. That's what the rest is. You don't need to turn here, but I just want to read something Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11. And many of you know these verses. Matthew eleven twenty eight says this, Come to Me, Jesus says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am a gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for My yoke is easy and My burden is light. He's saying, I want to do this through you. But you have to believe that I can. You have to believe that I want to work in your life. That's where He's at with you right now. See, He has for each one of you so much more than where you're at in relationship with Him right now. Think of your relationship with Him. There's not a single one in here, including me, that God does not have so much more for. Because He has so many plans. See, His bride doesn't know how awesome He is. His bride, for the most part, lives according to this religious spirit. And from the world's perspective, that's That's okay. That's a good thing. Man, they live a good life. Clearly they love God. But yet they miss the very thing that Peter here is speaking about. That's the power. That's the power of Jesus Christ. The power that He earned. Understand this. He earned the right to give it to you. We didn't earn that right. Jesus Christ, who became a man who lived a flawless, perfect life, gave His life on the cross. And He purchased that right to give it to you. So not only does He give us salvation, not only does He give us opportunity for eternal life with Him, But He gives us opportunity to be part of His army right here. I mean, that's extraordinary. But do you believe it? Or or is, is your world so small that you're having trouble figuring out that He can take care of the little things? 
You know, I, I just wonder sometimes what God, what God thinks when we worry about these little things. And we all do. And th- there's no condemnation in that. I'm not saying condemnation. I do it too. We all worry how, how we're going to pay the mortgage or how we're going to pay this bill or, or you know, how we're going to do this or do that. And, and God said, wait a second, you've you got to worship me in truth. Worship me, which means give our choices over to Him. Worship me in truth. And what is truth? I said I'd take care of it. See, I know all the hairs on your head. I've named them. You don't think that I could take care of this? See, the problem is we go to a paradigm of we want it. See, we want you to do this because we kind of think this is the direction you're taking us. And and so I've got it in my mind that I need this to happen because this is for you, God. And see, what he wants is he wants our paradigm to change. Because maybe it isn't for him. Maybe it's just for us. Maybe God just wants us to say, I trust you no matter what. Because if this doesn't happen, then you have a reason. See, oftentimes we think of God's goal is our happiness. Hate to burst your bubble. God's goal is not our happiness. God's goal is our fellowship with Him that makes us happy. Does that make sense? See, when God looks at this world, He looks at it in the perspective of His world. See, God knows the beginning from the end, the end from the beginning. God knows that when we're with Him in heaven, exactly what it's going to be like. He knows the relationship that He wants with you there that must be built here. So why do we look at things and say, well, Lord, this this is what I think You're doing, and and so I want this, and I want this, and, and do this, and do that. But then when He doesn't, we think, okay, well, I, I was way off, or what did I do wrong? When really it's the base level paradigm of what He wants for your life versus what you want for your life. He just wants you to trust Him. He already said in His Word, I mean, pull it out of there. He said He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He gives good gifts to those who love Him. So it's not a matter of thinking, well, uh, you don't want to give me good things because I need to be lowly in character and, you know, like some monk and, you know, I won't talk to anybody and don't get anything. I'll never have a good car. Yeah, whatever. Right? It's not about the circumstances. It's about whatever you want, God. Because I recognize in my life that you want to do something spectacular with me. Understand, that's nothing about me. Well, God, I'm so great that I know you want to do something really cool with me. It's not about that. It's about God wants to do something spectacular with everybody. But you know what? The people that He does spectacular things through are simply the ones that had the belief to give Him their yes. To say, you do it, Lord. I trust you. Boy, I trust you so much better than I could put my own thing together. And then if you could get a group of people, and I've said this so many times, I'm going to close on this. If you get a group of people with that same paradigm in saying, whatever you want, God, whatever you want, it'll change the world. 120 people changed the world. 2,000 years ago. Because they gave Jesus everything. Of all of His disciples, all of the 
well, the 11, because Judas didn't do it, move forward, but all of his apostles, except for John, gave their life. John was the only one that died of natural causes. And they gave it happily. They gave it with joy. And as you read, as we go through Acts, you're going to see that this was not some physical rest. The rest was in the relationship. The rest was knowing that He's your best friend and you don't have to hide anything from Him. Not that you could. But we don't have to. We can give Him those compartments that we don't want to give up. If we have the faith to believe what He really has for us, it's so much better than that. It's so much better than those things we hold on to, whether it be sin or whether it be our own desire. You know, doing our own plans for our life. He wants to be our rest. He wants to give us His presence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we worship You. We praise You, God. We thank You for who You are. We thank You for what You've done. And Lord, You are you are just so good. I pray, Lord, that You work in the hearts of these people and show them, God, that You want to do extraordinary things through them. But yet, that's an after effect of what you really want is communion with them. You want to be let in to those compartments that we set aside. You want to be given dominion over those parts of our life that, that we're struggling to control. You want to be a part of everything that we do. So Father, I pray that You speak to us this morning and do that very thing that You desire. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, nobody looking around, I want to emphasize the fact that this relationship we're talking about, it is not available to those who do not believe who Jesus Christ is and receive Him into their heart. This thing we call salvation is so simple. It is simply believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And He came to this earth and lived a perfect sinless life. He offered that life on the cross and was raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit and now lives at the right hand of the Father. It's simply believing that and asking Him into your heart to be your Savior. I want to ask with Nobody looking around. Is there anybody here this morning who has not asked Jesus Christ into their heart and you would like to? I'm not going to embarrass you. I want to pray for you. If there is anybody, would you raise your hand? Is there anyone who wants to accept Jesus Christ into their heart? For those who have accepted Him, every day is a new day. You can make choices today to give Him those compartments in your life that you've been holding back and you know what they are. Whether it be sin, whether it be something that you want to control. Father, I just pray that You urge each of us to take inventory of those places that we've not given You. Mold us into that army that You want us to be. That army of love. In Jesus' precious name, Amen.
Um, thank you for just a couple more minutes of your focus. I have a couple of announcements, but um, I was, it was interesting. I was really wrestling with God on why he kept playing this over and over in my mind as Greg was preaching. And so I hope I don't muddle up this uh, analogy because I recognize that it doesn't apply. It doesn't apply physically to everyone but it definitely applies spiritually. And I was thinking about the parallels between the physical and the spiritual, and one of them is um, when uh, a person has a child. And, you know, I thought about the fact that the process of having, I remember almost 24 years ago finding out that I was going to have Brooke and, uh, and starting that journey. And as I went on further and further, I began to recognize the sacrifice of being nauseous, um, putting on weight for whatever reason with her. I know it sounds terrible, but I gained 94 pounds. I know. Let's just skip over that part. Um, Frosties frosties and French fries. Anyway, but, um, but I remember at that time thinking this is a sacrifice but there was a combination of just because of my first child didn't know what to expect I was excited but I was nervous I was beginning to weigh the cost as it got further and further and then I'll never forget as it got close to the end where I was like okay you know I ended up being way overdue and I'm thinking okay now is the time I got to go and we're going to deliver this child I remember thinking I don't want to do this this is, you know, and, and women who don't understand that they weren't helpful would love to tell me their lovely stories of horror and pain of their own childbirth. And I remember thinking, okay, I don't think I want to do this. And, and it was like this moment of I couldn't turn back. And so I had to move forward in this, you know, these labor pains to, to bring about this child. And the analogy that I was thinking about when Greg was, was talking is, you know, God... When we accept Jesus, he plants a seed within us, okay, that is readily, easily able to do. Justification is an easy decision of yes, we just accept him. Then the weighing of the cost of what in that placement of that seed within you, what he wants to birth from our lives, we begin to recognize, okay, what this is really about. Every one of us here are at different stages in our spiritual pregnancy. Some of you are in the stages where maybe there's only slight nausea once in a while. Some of you are at the precipice of a significant destiny you're about to walk into, and you're on, you're on full-on labor. You're feeling it. The pressure's there, the intensity, the, the recognition, the cost, the sacrifice, and, you know, when you look at what's happened, and, and the parallels to the physical to the spiritual are no mistake. Look at what so many people in their fear, A, who just say, I don't want children. Because that's a real thing in the younger generation today. Well, I don't even know if I want children. Guess what? There's people, I don't even know if I want God. I don't know if I want that seed planted in me. I don't, I don't know that I want that. You know, years and years and years ago, the desire for children was just extraordinary and huge so in understanding that you want all the good things god has okay we we need to use the example of you want you want this spiritual child you want god's will god's blessing god's destiny but when you think about it look at what happens people then get pregnant and it's like this is going to be inconvenient i'm going to i'm going to have this problem or i don't know that i want to face this what do they do they abort it how many christians have aborted their destinies and aborted the blessings and the will of God because the cost, the inconvenience to their, their con, you know, circumstances, to their life is too great. And they're not able to deal with it, they think. You know, Satan will often lie to us in the moments of, most, of the most intense labor, the most intense decisions that you have to make, the most intense sacrifices, when family denies you. Uh, and doesn't want to be with you, when friends turn away from you, when it really becomes a cost. I mean, you're in full-on labor to, to birth out what God has for you. And he'll lie to you and say, this is motherhood. And it's not. It's not. Because when you birth out what God has, it is joy. There is a stewardship to it. I get to look at an amazing 
lovely, grown adult woman and get to get so blessed that as God, as I, you know, don't ask her how many times I messed up as a mother, but I mean, as I trusted God and and allowed him to steward what he gave me in her, I get to see the fruit of her life. And that's beautiful. And no, it wasn't always painful. There were great times of sacrifice. And there's a continued tempering of your lifestyle. Man, when we, you know, we were just, you know, a young couple able to do this and that. And all of a sudden this baby comes in. Okay, there's a baby. Like, there's not quiet in the house anymore. We can't just do what we want to do. You know, you can't just, you know, just set it aside and, okay, well, let's just just stay there. We want to go to the movies. No, we couldn't couldn't do, it, it changed everything. But as we stewarded it, the blessing You know, there is a denial of self in your walk, but the blessing, you know, people don't always steward their blessings. And and I never really understood, except in the spiritual, it makes perfect sense. I never understood why some people have 36 hours of labor. Other people maybe have three, you know, but everybody has pain. Everybody. There's a, there's a pain on one, one way or another. There's pain to, to, to deliver the birth of a child. And it's, it's very, very significant to understand that, yes, there's a cost, but it far outweighs. And Scripture even says that, you know, a woman that travails in labor begins to, that just falls away when she sees what's been birthed. So think about it. And, guys, this does apply to you. What God has for you, the destiny he has for you, yes, it will be a cost. There will be pain, but there will be so much joy. So much joy. And even when you walk into your destiny, even when you arrive at your destiny, like I arrived at the birth of Brooke, I had to steward it. I had to continue to lay my life down. As you well know, some people don't steward their children, and they end up becoming disasters, and they lose the beautiful potential that they had because they decided to still live for themselves and not parent the way that they should. So I hope that example, if you apply it to what God has for you, that you understand, yes, there's a cost. Yes, there is. But boy, the benefit is huge. And don't we want all that God has for us? You know, we really want it. You can decide you don't want it. And, you know, maybe you'll think for a while that you're satisfied. But it's it's just nothing like what God's best is for you. So I, I just, I don't know, I, I kept saying back and forth to the Lord, you know, I'm just not going to get it. There's just a lot of guys here. There's just a lot of young people here. They're just not going to. He was like, just say it. So I'm going to trust that he'll somehow let that land on you in a way that's helpful if that analogy uh, did anything. And, um, and I, I, I'm so excited about this message series. I think there's such great things to be learned. The book of Acts is one of the most exciting books in the Bible. Um, I did want to, though, by way of an announcement, um, this is very unusual. Joey? Right behind you are two baskets.